A few, uh, a few weeks ago, when the lottery was at its peak in the billions, I went to, uh, my wife and I went to a gathering in our neighborhood, and I found myself in conversation with a small group of men. And one of the men said, well, I'm, I'm all in on the lottery. It's my retirement plan. And I, and I said, so what's plan B? And he said, no, no, I'm all in. It's, a, it's, all, it's that or nothing. Well, I'm sure he was just kidding. But it, but it uh, raised for me the issue of uh, the thought that uh, being all in to something noble, something important, something powerful, is, I think, something we all yearn for. I think we all want to be part of something we want to give our life to something that's really important, really admirable, really noble. Jesus took his friends to Jerusalem. It wasn't a tour in the sense that we think of it, but they, uh, Jesus' friends were not sophisticated men and women. They, they were country folk. Chances are they'd never been there before, and so they must have gone into the town and admired the walls and the marketplace and of course the the great temple i mean all the magnificence of it if you came from a small village in galilee this was spectacular awesome that's probably what they said they said this is awesome and jesus said that's not what's important he said see all those scribes up there in the temple you know the ones with the fancy clothes the fancy robes they make great speeches, but at the same time, they destroy the house of the widows. That's a figure of speech, which means they take everything. He said, that is not important. In fact, that's duplicitous. That's saying one thing and doing another, acting one way and behaving and, and while you're saying something else. If you want to see something authentic, real, something that matters, look at this widow. She doesn't have any money, but she's giving it all to, the, to her faith. She's all in with God. All in with the church. I guess this uh, lesson is assigned to us this Sunday every third year so, so it gives uh, us a platform to talk about stewardship. I don't think it has anything to do with stewardship. It would just be an excuse. Although, there's something about proportional giving in here that you can make of it. I think it's about commitment. I think it's about being all in with God. Jesus had a lot of ways of talking about the kingdom of God, the realm of God. Most familiarly, I suppose, he used parables to talk about this time or place or way of life that he called God's realm, where the law of love was what was paramount. He also used aphorisms, you know, short, pithy little sayings. Uh, 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 let the dead bury the dead. Uh, 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 man cannot live by bread alone. Uh, 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 a... Uh, City on a hill cannot be hid. These are little sayings that are memorable because they're short, A, and B, because they have a, they, they're catchy. They're catchy. They, and, you, and we hear them over and over again 
in, uh, in, uh, in uh, common speech. He also used comparatives. Com this thing is good, that thing is not so good. We should li you should live this way, not that way. So he used sheep and goats. He used uh, wise, and wise and foolish uh, maidens, the rich man and Lazarus. And in today's gospel, he used the ostentation, apparently hollow, of the clergy in the temple uh, over and against the humility and the commitment of the widow. And so if from Jesus' point of view, we should all be committed, we should be all in on our faith. Today we also remember the uh, end of World War I. Today is, when I, when I was young, it was Armistice Day, now it's Veterans Day. Um, Armistice Day is, this year is precisely one year, uh, uh, sorry, 100 years from the date that the um, armistice ending the hostilities in World War I was signed. November 11th, uh, at 11 o'clock, uh, Paris time, two th uh, 1918. We we're celebrating the peace, but that war still haunts us. It was a terrible, terrible war. It fought for all the wrong reasons, bloody, intra intractable. 20, not quite, 20 million people died in that war in three and a half, a little over three and a half years, eight million of which were civilians. Just, just a horrendous, horrendous, and, and, and there's been Tons of books written on the cause of, that, of World War I because it's so mysterious. But I think at the root of it, we might say that it was a, a sort of social Darwinism. And by that I mean that um, uh, uh, and this was a popular philosophy at the turn of that last century. Uh, and, the, and the idea was that our culture needed to survive and, and what, and the culture was, uh, was about survival of the fittest culture. And of course, every one of the combatants in this war thought that they, their culture was the best. They, every one of them claimed moral authority. And there were triggering events that you all know about probably and, and things that, mobilization, a lot of other things responsible for the war, but at the heart of it was this notion that our culture is better than yours whether that's Germanic or, or Gallic or, or English, our culture is better than yours. Um, and, it, and it caused this, this, this horrible war. This social Darwinism is long gone, really. I mean, nobody pays it any attention to it except some lunatic fringe that you may read about from time to time, although it was at the heart of the Second World War, perhaps. Here's, my, uh, here's a uh, quote from uh, George Santayana. He's the Spanish-born American philosopher writing about the First World War. He says, the spirit in which parties and nations confronted one another was not motherly nor brotherly nor Christian. Their valorousness and, mort and morality consist in their indomitable egoism. That's 
what happened in World War I, and thank God we can celebrate the peace that followed it. Let me just tell you why. I'm not, I, I could, I'd love to talk for a long time about World War I, but let me just tell you one quick story about it. Uh, you, you all know about the Christmas truce. This was a time when, uh, in 1914, some of the troops came out of their trenches on both English and, and German side, came out of their trenches, uh, heard each other singing Christmas carols, and, uh, uh, and came out and, and had some fellowship in no man's land in between the trenches. Uh, and exchanged gifts, whatever they had on them, probably buttons for the most part, and, um, uh, and maybe a, a little schnapps was passed around. Probably a little schnapps. Um, and this was made it into the press for a time uh, and was celebrated as a, a, an act of peace in the midst of war. There's a, an opera now playing at, uh, uh, in the Kennedy Center called uh, Silent Night, which is based on this story. There's a dark side to the story, however. And the dark side is that uh, this kind of fraternization happened over and over and over again on the Western Front. Happened in, throughout 1915 and into 1916, by which time the combatants were pretty war weary and, and uh, it, it began to peter out. However, the news of those encounters was suppressed by the governments, by, by all three governments. Why? Because it was thought to, to be bad for morale. Why was it bad for morale? Because we couldn't allow our people to put a human face on the enemy. The enemy was evil, an indistinguishable evil, a menace that was out to get us and we had to get them. And the mere thought that we might see their soldiers as individuals was thought to be destructive by all three governments. In my imagination, Jesus saw all that and, would, and came to us and said, beware, the, beware those old men with broad epaulets and long frock coats they make great speeches, and then they send boys into, out to get killed and destroy families. Look instead at the boys. Look instead at the soldiers who, in the midst of war, who, in the midst of fighting and, and, and dying, still find it possible to climb out of their trenches and, and make peace fraternize, find friendship of some sort with the very people who earlier that day were trying to kill them. This is loving your enemy. The kingdom of God is like a soldier who makes friends with the very person trying to destroy him. The church has to be wary also. The church has to be conscious that it's not saying one thing and doing another, that it's not duplicitous in any way. It's an easy trap to fall into, especially if it's all about preservation. If in, some, if in some sense we feel some sort of moral authority 
that's over and above the moral authority of others. If the grandeur of the past is more important than the crisis of the present, then, then we've lost something. If the beautiful robes and the excellent liturgy and music somehow replace compassion and love and concern for one another, then our church becomes irrelevant, useless, and our worship insipid. We are called, you see, to be all in with God. Not to play church, but to be all in. We're called not to hold back, not to hedge our bets, but to bet entirely, to bet our lives on the one who has created us, the one who loves us, the one who saves us from ourselves. Once you put your hand to the plow, there's no turning back. Once you make the commitment, you have to see it all the way through. If I were, if I were on a, the search committee of a church, just any old church, one of the things I would look for in the candidates is authenticity, single-minded commitment to the church, being all in, not one willing to hedge their bets, but someone who's 100% committed to God in Christ. It is authenticity, single-mindedness, is probably certainly one of the most important attributes of leadership in any field. And absolutely that is true in the, in the church. The kingdom of God is, is the place where you find people who aren't pretentious, the kingdom of God is where you find people who know who they are and are comfortable with that, are happy with that. They don't need to feel morally superior to anybody and certainly would never claim it. The kingdom of God who are, is the home to those who would never hide behind race or clan or family of origin and are fully committed to this noble cause. They're all in with Jesus. It's not about giving your last dime to the church. Not this passage. What counts, says Jesus, is choosing that way to live. That way to treat others. That way to love. being all in, no turning back, no turning back. Amen.